1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. Well, I need to apologize. Not that I think anyone's holding me to something I said a few weeks ago, and I'm not really taking anything away from anybody or doing anything to make any listener angry or upset, but I did say I was going to have interviews on this podcast. The reason that it would be my one-year kind of anniversary of the podcast. Well, I look back in the annals and the records to see when I started doing the podcast, and I started in the first week of December, which is a month from now. That'll be my one-year podcasting podversary or whatever you want to say. And the reason for that, even though we're at 52 episodes, is because I released four episodes simultaneously when I started. So the numbering's all squirrely, and at the end of the day, as I said a few weeks ago, these anniversaries and milestones are pretty arbitrary. If I'm going to be doing it once a week, I'm doing it once a week. But that being said, I think for the one-year anniversary, I'm still going to do a series of interviews, two interviews. And again, these are people who are very important in my fly fishing life. So again, not that anyone is going to be throwing their smartphone or punching their Bluetooth uh, radio receiver in their car out of anger, but simply as an explanation why we're not having interviews, why you get to listen to just me once again. But that's what I do. There's a lot of great podcasts out there that do interviews. In fact, the vast majority of them are interviews, and that's great. Listen to them. I recommend them. Go out and do it. This is what you get with Casting Across, me talking about kind of the periphery, the edge, and the different angle of fly fishing, not because I'm particularly smart or an expert angler. That's just what interests me. And along those lines, today I'm going to talk about confidence. Because I think fly fishing is as much in your head as it is skill, as it is where you're fishing, and anything else like that. Now, of course, you can put the caveats in there that you can't fish somewhere where there is no fish. 
you can't necessarily fish with a pattern or tackle or technique that is so out of line with what is accepted and normal for a situation, you aren't going to be catching a lot of pike using size 32 midges. You aren't going to be super successful stripping 10-inch streamers for brook trout in small mountain streams. But within reason, a lot of fly fishing has to do with the way that you approach it. So when we think about approach, you know, fly fishing is approach and presentation right? Approach and presentation, how you come to the water and then what you do on the water. So approach matters a lot because that establishes what your presentation is going to be. How you come into the water, maybe even literally physically walking into the water, is going to impact the angle at which you can make your presentation. And that's still part of your approach. Your presentation has to do with your line, your leader, your fly, your drift, all those things. But even before that, even before you walk in the stream, as you're looking at a pool, as you're looking at a tide, as you're looking at a riffle, as you're looking at a piece of structure on the bank, what's going on in your head? And honestly, if you think I'm not catching a fish there, there's a very good chance you're not going to catch a fish there. Now, if you think I'm going to catch a fish there, it doesn't guarantee you're going to catch a fish, but that's a really helpful mindset as long as you're not being delusional. But let's talk a little bit about confidence. So I'm going to talk a few different areas, a few different facets of what you can have confidence in while you're fishing and kind of one way that that plays out. So first I'm talking about a fly. Do you have confidence in a fly? I have confidence in a fly and that fly is a woolly bugger. Now I'm not alone. I would dare say that more people have confidence in fishing a woolly bugger than any other traditional trout fly. Yes, woolly buggers are traditional and Here's the thing, though. I have a special way that I tie my woolly buggers, as anybody who ties flies has a special way they tie their woolly buggers. Um, mine's very, very sneaky. It has to do with the color of thread. See, this is the big uh, you know, fly tying secret. You change something like the color of thread, and you've revolutionized your woolly bugger, or you've you know, totally changed the way that uh, your fly is seen by fish. But that in itself, it's a confidence thing. I use red thread on my light-colored woolly buggers, and in my head, the translucent colors on the light-colored woolly buggers allow that red thread to show through just like smaller bait fish, and a lot of the streams that I fish have kind of translucent bodies, and so that red that comes through the body that you see in the places where my wraps of my chenille aren't super tight, and then also around the head, which kind of replicates the gills because I always put a bead head or a cone head on my woolly bugger, so that red looks like gills where I do my really, really ugly whip finishing. In my mind, that sets those flies over and above the flies that have thread wraps that match the body of the fly. Now, is that insane? Well, maybe a little bit, but at the end of the day, a lot of fly choice is preference. A lot of fly choice is what you like, not what the fish likes. Matching the hatch is even an art. It's not a science. You're sometimes going to be better off not being exact in the way that you match the fly. So, that shows what confidence does. A fly that I have confidence in, I am going to fish better. And I'm going to have more patience with that. If I fish through a few runs and I don't catch fish, I'm not going to start going back into my fly box and saying, I've made a bad choice. This fly is not a good fly. 
So woolly bugger uh, on a small mountain stream, an Adams for skinny water, a big puffy humpy for faster water, a couple of different nymph patterns that I really turn to. There's certain flies that if I don't catch fish in a few pools and a few runs and for maybe 15, 20 minutes, half an hour or something like that, I'm not panicking and digging through my fly box and scrambling to other patterns. I'm thinking, you know what? I'm probably not making my presentation well enough. It's a me problem, not a fly problem. So I'll stick with it and I'll try other things. I'll eliminating the variables that I'm messing with by keeping the fly the same because I know that fly works, especially in streams I've fished before or streams that are a lot like streams I've fished before. And actually, for me, this translates into not just trout fishing, but saltwater and warm water fishing. I have so much confidence in fishing an olive and white clouser minnow because it looks like so many of the bait fish that I see both in the fresh and in the salt that if I'm not catching fish, it's because I'm not at the right depth. It's not the right kind of retrieve. I'm not casting in the right places. And so I I have so much confidence in my fly that I'm not digging through a fly box. I'm not thinking, is this thing too big, too small, too heavy, too light? I'm thinking, how can I fish this fly better in order to get in front of fish? So I have a lot more patience when I know I have the right fly. Now, it's interesting. I feel like I developed this pattern. I developed this uh, idiosyncrasy, and a lot of us have it, so I'm not unique in this. Back when I started fishing with conventional tackle, there were some lures in my box that I would never use in a million years because I had absolutely no confidence in them. If I were to walk downstairs to my basement and get my giant Plano tackle box out, there are lures in that that I bought when I was probably 12 or 13 that have been sitting there and are perfect condition. Razor sharp hooks, no chips on the paint, no little tag ends of, of monofilament on the, the uh, ring that goes into where you tie your, your line. Because I bought them and then I looked at them and I thought, I don't want to fish this. I don't know how to fish this thing. I have zero confidence. But those Rapala floating minnows, I've gone through dozens of them because I have so much confidence in them. Just like my woolly bugger with my red thread, I have confidence. And I'll fish that and the other handful of flies that are my confidence flies under most normal circumstances. So your fly is something you have confidence in and that one way that manifests is in patience. Another thing is your technique. So if you have so much confidence in your own nymphing or swinging wet flies or dead drifting dry flies or twitching hoppers and you're in a situation that a fish might reasonably respond to that kind of technique, then fish that and fish it with confidence because you have proficiency with that. If you've never swung a fly before, you're thinking, you know what, today's the day I'm going to swing fly, and I also want to catch fish. I want to learn how to swing flies, and I want to catch fish. That's probably not a winning combination. It's probably one or the other. If you want to catch fish, then do something that you're used to, especially if you're by yourself. Now, if you're with a guy, that's kind of like the magic key, where you can try a new pattern, a new presentation, a new technique, all sorts of new variables. And if you're with somebody who is a trusted authority on the subject, whether it be a paid guide or somebody that you're fishing with that is showing you these things, then that's when you want to employ something new while you're trying to catch fish because you're relying on their authority and relying on their experience. But if you're only operating out of your experience, you want to fish those confidence techniques that you have built proficiency in. So again, if you don't know how to swing a fly, then 
do that practice and figure out what that looks like when you're not concerned about catching fish. Make sure you're, you're getting the, 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 the technique down. Make sure you're working out the kinks. But if you're trying to catch fish, you're in a new spot, you're, you're, you've not gotten into anything yet, then do what you're comfortable with. Because kind of like with a fly, you have patience for that. You say, you know what? I know how to tight line nymph. And so I'm not going to switch to dry fly fishing right now. I'm just going to mess with my rig a little bit, add a little bit more rate, maybe change my point fly, uh, maybe even you know lengthen my cider, do certain things that I know can increase my odds of getting to more fish without changing everything dramatically. So this doesn't mean that you need to be a one-trick pony, and we'll talk about that in a second, but if you become proficient with one technique, then that's a great thing to go to and not deviate from, especially if you haven't caught fish or you're struggling to get into the kind of fish that you want to get into. So your fly is one thing, your technique is another, and you can have patience and proficiency because of your confidence in your fly and your technique. The third thing, as I would say, is is a spot. Do you like fishing plunge pools? Do you like fishing tailouts of pools? Do you like fishing against jetties in the salt? Do you like fishing on blowing down logs on uh, warm water? You know, you have confidence. You know how to fish against structure. Then go to those spots. And the reason why you have confidence in those spots is because you have practice. You know some of those little minute details that accompany fishing in those spots. I think a great example of this is if you are fishing a tail out of a pool of a, of a trout stream, and you've done this before, and you feel comfortable with making a presentation in a spot like this, then what you're going to end up doing is you know how to cast so that your fly can get down and get in front of the fish that will be feeding you know, in a, a reasonable spot in that pool, while at the same time keeping your line off the water so that the drag from that quick drop-off of downstream current doesn't create drag, doesn't suck your fly down out of the fish's feeding lane real fast because you're familiar with that. So again, what have you done? You've had practice, so you're eliminating some of those variables of things that you're having to think of kind of on top of the fact that you are diagnosing a situation, reading the water, analyzing your approach, analyzing your presentation. So to kind of summarize, our confidence matters because when we have confidence in something, it takes out a lot of the guesswork. It takes out a lot of those variables that, like when you're new to fly fishing, if you are new now, you know that there's so many things that are going through your head, so many stimuli when you walk on that water. You're not only trying to figure out what's going on in front of you, you're trying to regurgitate all the information you've gotten from books and from podcasts and from YouTube videos and from the few times you have been on the water. And if you've paid for a guide, trying to think of all the important things that they've told you. But you have to also deal with the fact that you're fishing now. Now, once you establish some patterns, a fly, a technique, a particular spot in the water you're fishing, whether it be a trout stream, warm water, whether it be salt water, what you're able to do is eliminate a few of those variables. Say, you know what, I'm going to fish this fly, I'm going to do this type of fishing, I'm going to go to this spot, and I have established a frame of reference for things I'm comfortable with. And this is something that's true whether you're just starting out or you've been fishing for decades. If you're going to a new place, what do you do? You don't start from scratch. You go to the facet of that stream or that pond 
or that shore that you're familiar with. And you say, I know how to fish these kind of spots. So I'm going to pick a fly that I have confidence in that I know should work in a situation like this. And then I'm going to fish it using a technique, including tackle and line and leader and cast length and all those things that I'm comfortable with while I am trying to diagnose the particulars of this fishing situation. So confidence matters because it sets you up to really limit and narrow the kind of things you have to think about as you are fishing. That being said, you can be overly confident and that can be problematic. For example, if you are stubborn, and this happened to me recently where I was just baffled that these trout in this stream were not going after my size 16 yellow humpy. This thing was floating beautifully. There was other bugs on the water. From my perspective, there's absolutely no reason why these fish were not biting this fly. And so I stuck with it for an inordinate long amount of time. I just kept casting it and casting it and casting it. But after a few hours, I needed to step back and say, you know what? This fly is not going to catch fish. So even though I have confidence in that, and that's something that I'll turn to on these high gradient mountain streams, nine out of 10 times, my stubbornness got in the way of me diagnosing maybe where these fish were. And it wasn't until really late in the day that I was able to kind of key in on that. So too much confidence can lead to overconfidence, which can lead to being stubborn. The other thing is you're not diversifying your fly fishing. And that will also lead to not catching fish. So if you don't diversify your fly fishing, what you're doing is you're sticking with only a couple of flies, a couple of techniques, and you may be only fishing a few spots. Now, if you find success in this and you derive joy from this, then, you know, knock yourself out. Have a great time. But if you're finding there's times where you're just not catching the kind of fish that you'd like, you're not seeing the kind of success, or maybe you're even getting bored of the same old, same old, then that's the time to break away from that one or two kind of core skills and try other things. Now, going back to what I was saying earlier, maybe that means, you know, get out on the water, do what you know and do what you love and do what you're used to to get on a few fish and then try to do something new. Try to swing a wet fly. Try to fish a topwater fly for salt or for, for bass. Try something that you're not used to doing and then work on that, knowing that you've got a few fish under your belt or completely with that mindset of this trip and this couple hours in the water is about really dialing in this fly, this technique, or this spot because I know that I can catch fish here. I just haven't caught fish here before and so I want to diversify it. And what you do then is you build up a bank of more flies you have confidence in, more techniques you have confidence in, and more spots you have confidence in. And really all that goes to you having more confidence as an angler and being able to diagnose and to adequately and appropriately confront any situation that you're faced with within reason. So confidence. Again, fly fishing is as much in your head as anything else. There are some situations where no matter how hard you try and how much confidence you have, you're not going to catch fish. And other times where you're going to stumble into fish like a blind squirrel finding a nut. It's just the way that fishing goes. So if there's a fly or a technique or a spot that you have confidence in, let me know on the notes on the show page of this podcast episode at castingacross.com. Send me an email, Matthew at Casting Across or leave a comment on social media under the post of this episode. I'm interested to hear because I know my confidence spots, techniques, and flies. And sometimes I think that those are the easy way to fish, and that's why I do those. But 
I realize that there's other people that do totally different things and those are their comfort zones. So it's kind of always interesting to see that and hear that. This week on castingacross.com, two articles. The first was called New Fly Fishing Conversations and Reviews. Something that the website was sorely lacking was a good index of reviews of companies and products and conservation organizations and fly rods and all that sort of stuff. So I retooled the People, Places, and Things page, and now you can see all of those reviews in a nice gallery view. So if you head to the website on the right-hand side, all the way at the top, you'll see the podcast um, icon, and then you scroll down a little bit, and you see People, Places, and Things, Conversations, and Reviews. It's on a brook trout background. If you click on that, it brings up all sorts of reviews. There's dozens and dozens of them in there, and uh, the cool thing about it is that once you read an article on the website, on the bottom, it does use some sort of fancy robot algorithm, Skynet kind of thing to figure out other related topics. So if I maybe mention that product in another article, I'm talking about a technique, but then I mentioned the article that I reviewed, that'll usually pop up in there too, which is kind of cool. The other article this week was called The Trout That Should Not Be. Uh, I caught a fish that wasn't supposed to be where it was. A local angler thought I was an idiot and that there's no brown trout in that stream. Well, I have a picture of the brown trout that I caught in that stream. Anyway, talk about the challenge and kind of the weird mindset of somebody who would totally deny something that just happened in that article. So this week, the recommendation on the podcast is the Flytrap Pro Series. Now, I have recommended this before, and it's like one of my favorite gadgets, and for short money you know, under $15, the Flytrap Pro Series has been updated, and it's my favorite way to carry all of my tippet and tools and then to have fly drying and fly storage options. So it's hard to describe over a podcast, but if you go to the show notes of this podcast on castingacross.com, there'll be a link to the Flytrap Pro Series, but it's been updated. So essentially, it's a clip that has a little toggle on it that you can disengage the clip and take the clip off which gives you access to a tube and on one end of that tube you can slide tippet spools and then on the other end same sort of setup you can slide a rubber cylinder that is made for uh, sticking flies in and you can do whatever you want you can slide cylinders on both ends and you can have essentially a fly holding tube you can have more tippet storage, but then in between those two sides, there's little clips for attaching tools. So I've said it before, I have a couple of these. I have one for salt, I have one for warm water, I have one for trout, I have one for small stream trout, and I'm able to just kind of keep my nicest tools for all of those applications on the flytrap and then just clip it from one to the other. This updated flytrap pro series includes a kind of a bungee cord for more attachment options and they've also changed the toggle clips so that they come off easier for when you want to replace the cylinders for flies or your tippet spools, which before it was a little bit of a chore to snap them in and on, super secure. They're still super secure, but now they come on and off much easier. Awesome product. Love it. I have lots of them. They are a must-buy, in my opinion, for somebody who likes organization and flexibility in the organization. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast 
and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.